You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to Line Noise. On today's episode, I spoke to Andy Butler, the founder and ever-present overlord of Hercules and Love Affair. The band's new album, In Amber, is a fabulously gothic, industrial rock-leaning house fleck affair that you should listen to right now. We talked about goth nightclubs, acid house, birdsong, and everything in between. So, um, congratulations on the new album, which is both excellent and kind of unexpected, which I think is always a, a potent combination. Um, I was interested, when you started off working on In Amber, you said you didn't know if it was going to be a Hercules and, and Love Affair album. Why was that? Um, well, thank you, first of all, for saying such kind words. Um, and yeah, I kind of, I definitely know uh, and knew it would feel unexpected. And um, um, there is an element, I guess, of surprise with each record that I've done with Hercules and Love Affair namely because the collaborator list is usually just changing and like, eh, but also because thematically and sort of sonically, I just kind of, I personally get interested in things and then I go deeper into those things or, um, yeah. So that's kind of like the first record was a culmination of many years of being like passionate about disco and sort of early house music and stuff. And, um, but also new wave and you could hear sort of, slower abstract numbers on the first album too um this record though i went there really went there i i guess because um i just wanted to start hearing louder angrier sounds on synthesizers <laughs> in some way and i wanted to at points there was a moment where i just said i want to see how close to making like this little you know, essentially this little toy, this little Korg that I had, I was just trying to like distort it and overdrive it enough to make it sound like a, a an elephant charging or like a roaring lion. And um, to create something almost organic after pushing these synthetic sounds so far, in a way, almost like trying to see if I couldn't make things sound like electric guitars. Um, uh, and I think something that, that's not really it's a sort of surprise for people is that I've, I'm like a fan of heavy music and I've been a fan of heavy music my whole life so like um uh I grew up listening to you know, like metal and I, I still listen to metal and the the some of the original demos were played for a vocalist uh from a metal band also uh called Oathbreaker um and yeah it's it's stuff i've been doing also for a long time just quietly so i have been working on tracks for years with um my younger brother who happens to be a vocalist in a death metal band called vastum uh as well as the guitarist from that band and mark pistol a longtime collaborator from meepy manifesto so yeah i think I'd been making this stuff for a long time, just quietly. And uh, eventually Anoni heard some of these demos and was very excited by them. So that's kind of why we started working on them. And before we knew it, it was just kind of like, well, let's let's just let people decide if they want to go on the journey, put it out as Hercules and Love Affair, you know? One thing I really got from it, and maybe this reflects my tastes 
um, certainly recently, was it reminded me a lot of going to goth clubs when when I was younger. Um, I wondered if, if you'd ever had a similar experience. Like, did you ever go to goth clubs when 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 you were when oh, you were younger or now? Most definitely. As a kid, I was. I I grew up in them. Before I got to the rave, I was at the goth club because in America, um, you know, it was the, the those were generally the the night nightlife events that allowed under 18s uh you know so like the this is where it, it was sunny because it would be like you know the 15 and 16 year old goth kids sometimes even younger 13 year old kids would be in night in nightclubs in denver dancing to uh, you know everything from like classic you know tones on tail to you know maybe they'd play a new order but then you know techno at that very moment was emerging so the djs would be playing like new beat like Lords of Acid or Headhunter from Front 242. And they'd also play stuff like LFO, like LFO. Uh, so it was there where I first started to, I think, experience this sort of like, like electronic music, um, the, the electronic music that I got so passionate about later. Um, and, and it's funny because I was in, Chicago at the time there was a um there's a, a great festival called Cold Waves Festival that takes place, which is a celebration. Uh, yeah, or it's really rooted around Wax Tracks Records, um, a Chicago-based industrial label. And I was uh at an after party for this festival with a uh, house DJ, Michael Serafini. And we went there and he just knew everyone from this industrial scene. And I thought to myself, this is so strange. Like and he's like, no, it's not strange actually at all. You know, Lil Lewis was playing at Medusa's and Medusa's in like the late eighties in Chicago was this complete blend of like house heads and like goth kids coming to hear industrial music and like everything would be played at these clubs, you know? And um, so, yeah, I definitely was, and it, it sort of speaks to that too, you know? Um, yeah, I, I definitely grew up in goth clubs, in short. <laughs> I don't know how they were in the US, but in the UK, goth clubs I always found were really friendly places. Like people looked intimidating, you know, because they had on all the makeup and everything, but like they were really, really nice people. I always found they were great places to, to go out. Yeah, I agree. You know, people were very free. They felt very free to express themselves. Like they're, you know, the dancing styles were, were way out there sometimes. And, uh, and it was definitely one of the first places that I was like, truly, I guess, able to express myself like from a kind of visibly queer fashion standpoint, you know, like it was not weird that I had eyeliner on, or it was not weird that I was wearing, you know, um, skin tight, clothing or it was not weird that my hair was you know was long it was whereas like a, in the more conservative background that i, I was coming from uh, at least family wise it was really weird so i would go to these i would go to these these clubs and often there would be coffee shops and cafes that i would hang out in too um which were sort of hot spots for for these kids uh and um it was it was inclusive and friendly i think those are good ways of describing it i mean with, with 
that background, getting Budgie from Susie and the Banshees to play on the record, that must have been uh, pretty incredible, right? Oh, absolutely. It was it was a really incredible turn of events. Um, but I must say that that was an only suggestion, and it only happens to be because I met Budgie while on tour, while he was on tour with John Grant, who was a collaborator on my third record, um, and who I've known from Denver, who I know from Denver. Um, Budgie was touring with John. So Anoni is like, we were, you know, I talked earlier about, a little bit about the heavy, heavy side of the record, where there's also this very, um, you know, kind of spacious, uh, introspective and, yeah, I guess in some for some people maybe gloomy side of the record too, which um, Anoni just heard the creatures immediately, and she thought like really intimate percussion, but then like just the best percussion. So you should get someone like Budgie on this record, and I thought, oh, that that, that Budgie plays with John, doesn't? But I think we could, you know, and uh, he just ended up being, you know the absolute most like darling of darlings and uh and it was a just a joy to work with him and to immediately see what he brought to the songs that was also just phenomenal it's it's often like this i think in general when you bring electronic music into a studio and you get a live player on the recording everything you know changes like the whole thing comes to life and uh, it was really particularly special when Budgie started, um, yeah, just picking up instruments it, it, on, and some, on some songs, just literally experimenting, bowing cymbals, doing, you know, crazy intimate things. And then on other songs, pounding away. And then, you know, this piece of electronic music that I, I had all of a sudden became some furious, a living thing, you know? Um, so it was, a, it was a real thrill to work with him. We've touched on this a little bit, but could you explain the role that Anoni played on, on the new record? It was quite fundamental, maybe? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think it's uh, on in in many ways, you know, her input was important. Like even even insofar as just getting me to sing more, you know, like there were there was there was there were some real pivotal things like that took place, which they sort of happened by happenstance in some ways, but also um, there they definitely were prompted by her, you know? So like the budgie idea, or for instance, when we started recording, she handed me the microphone and she said, okay, record something, I'll be back shortly. <laughs> I thought, I didn't think this is what we were doing. I thought we were doing something else. I thought you were recording. And um, yeah, I mean, we have a shared love for also, like she's even more so, she's more rooted in, and I think uh, darker, like the, the world's dark music, the world's dark music. Uh, uh, so uh, for Anoni, it was a, she, she was around the Death Rock California scene. She was very directly influenced by um, 
Ross Williams, Christian Death, and all that stuff. So um, I think the shared there is definitely there was there was so much connectivity in terms of like on some level reference points, but also just more so like a map of where these things could go, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but it's not really a. I wouldn't say it's a terribly referential record, you know. <laughs> I was interested in, in the singing. Um, when Anoni persuaded you to sing on, on the new record, were you really against it? Um, and how do you feel about it now? I sang on every record. I just always sang, and I still, I still sometimes, you know, just choose to sing softly, you know, with a, a, very, a very kind of emitting no further than six inches of, like, wind will be emitted from in front of my face, you know, almost like a talking singing. And I, I sang on, um, I think, every record except the third one. And uh, no, this time it was, you know, I think because I started out the process and it was, I was emboldened in a way. Yeah, I definitely was emboldened. I was kind of like, all right, well, I think I was in some ways cornered at first and I was like, well, if this is the only way we're going to kickstart this creative process, then I'm going to do it. But then I was definitely emboldened. And um, I started to realize like, I don't know, there was a sonor uh, resonance or a sonority, is that the word? That, and, you know, something like there was a quality to my voice and um, that I hadn't been really playing with. And, um yeah it's like it's interesting to talk to anoni about singing because you know it's a she has as you could imagine she has a few things to say about it and um one being that it's a, one of the most natural things to do like human humans are yeah are like animals capable of making noise and there's no reason that they shouldn't and there's every reason that they should and no one judges you know like a, a cawing crow or a uh, uh, a wounded animal or a grieving mother, you know, um, sound is, is something we, we make. So the judgment around it is, um, yeah, it's all a different story. Yeah. I, I, I do really like your voice on the record. I was wondering, maybe it sounded like I was kind of surprised, but I think, I think it works really well. Um, Thank you. You, you said about the record that, that certain emotions within dance music felt off limits, like anger, frustration, um, and despair. Um, I thought that was, a, that was an interesting thing to say, because I'm not, for me personally, I'm, I'm not sure I feel they're off limits. I feel they're, they're sort of not so often used, and they're not what you might call sort of typical emotions of dance music, but I, I, I think you can find them. Um, I mean, what, what do you think about that? Oh, I would agree with you. Definitely agree with you. Um, I would say that in the main, from from the from the standpoint of like general currents, uh, to say that everything is so genre oriented now. You know, like this is a a big one of the my big gripes I think with dance music <laughs> is that everything is just so fixed, and even even as more outsider sounds are sort of welcomed in and we're slowly seeing things change um it's still very genre oriented um and 
it's not that they're off limits, but uh, within certain genres, I would say you they are more or less off limits. Um, you're not, you, you know, it's very infrequent. I, I can't, I can't name more than a few disco records or house records that really engage with rage. I mean, bitter bitterness and then like a heartbreak. Yes, you know, um, and I think it's just part, part, partly because of the um, the tradition or the mode of the of the. There's more of a, a bluesiness to it than I would say, sort of a uh, fury, if you know what I mean. There, there are a few, perhaps, in terms of techno. Yes, perhaps you 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 know, in dance music, I will say the one or one of the most inspiring places for me to kind of participate or, or bear witness to uh, was chaos in London, the chaos London parties that have been going on for a long, long time. But um, play this sort of, first of all, an incredible eclectic uh, selection of music. It is frequently a sort of heavy techno-ish sound, but they do not shy away from playing um, full vocal like growling grunting vocals um and yeah i can't say i'm it's like you know i don't know what club on a beast in on a visa you, you're going to hear stuff like that maybe you know one i don't happen to <laughs> no but, um, yeah but in general um then sort of just sort of i guess sort of recognizing that sort of despair and existential that that stuff just does not outside of you know industrial kind of gothy oriented dance music. I don't really know where it exists. I mean, you know, I guess on some level, ambient techno provided a place for sort of existential sort of thought, but um, it's kind of hard to locate those places. In general, it was more or less that I felt. I, I needed to make, I wanted to make different sounds uh, in order to convey some of these kind of, yeah, thoughts and stuff. I mean, this seems like an awful question given what you've just said about um, musical genre, um, but I'll give it a go anyway. I mean, would, would you fundamentally call uh, In Amber a, a work of, of dance music? No. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a work of dance music. I would say that there are moments that perhaps invite you to move and that are dance oriented and like, yeah, like dance music oriented, but largely it's not a dance music record, um, but it comes from someone who has kind of worked in like a lot of those genres and worked with this sort of instruments that make dance music uh, for, for quite a while now. It's kind of filtered through the brain of a dance music person, but even so, you know, in some ways, I mean, this brings us back to the beginning of the conversation, but when you said it was a bit unexpected, um, in some ways, I feel like this reverse process that happened to artists like Coil or Robin Gristle kind of is kind of happening with me, or Ministry, for instance, where um, 
or actually I would be more like the ministry example than the other two, but you know, Coil and Throwing Gristle, these artists sort of started like really as noise artists more or less, and really um, then started to experiment with different, different sounds. They were very adventurous, very experimental all in all. At a certain point, um, almost all participants in um, Throbbing Gristle started to explore dance music. And uh, like, like Coil, you know, full on went, like had at a moment of track that was a proper, you know, like a techno house moment. Uh, and you same with Psychic TV. Yeah, Chris and Cozy was perhaps the, the, the least of the, that latched onto the sort of like formula, more genre or formulate kind of genre of things but um this this adventure kind of from one place and ending up in another place and being like well nothing's off limits um it, it's it, i definitely took it spent uh, uh, i took inspiration from it and similarly uh, i definitely took inspiration from artists like al jorgensen like ministry like the fact that you know, he had that first record that sounded like it did, and he ended up sounding like he does. It's like, absolutely, like you do whatever, or wherever you're pulled, you know, wherever the current is pulling you, you go artistically. Um, it's not, it's not, it's not like, I don't know, it's not so easily mapped out. It's not like being a doctor or a dentist or, yeah, I don't know. And then um, similarly, another artist that, ended up remixing one of the songs justin broderick god from godflesh he is like a, a huge inspiration and has been since i was a, a teenager young teenager and he you know he veered into shoegazing at points he veered into like dubstep and drum bass at points he but he started out founding the most important grindcore band of the genre he was you know the founding member of napalm death so this this idea that people are sort of I don't know musically uh, expect there's something expected um, it's not been very exciting to me that idea. I mean, well, this is one of the things I like about the album that it takes me back. I mean, again, maybe this is to do with recent things I've been I've been reading up on, but it takes me back a bit to. Uh, not that I was there, but like uh, early Acid House days when you would have like house records, but you would also have, I don't know, a ministry record or like something by the residents or, or something like that. Um, and, and they'd all kind of get put together. Um, I wonder like you, as as a DJ, do you ever feel a kind of frustration um, with clubs you're you're playing that, that, you know, it's only house or it's only techno? Or do you get to, to play it? a lot of the you know the best places where you can play whatever you like yes i'd say that i getting more and more like the for or the the latter i mean my sets i i i, I never felt like i really ever had to stay terribly you know straightforward i've never been terribly straightforward as a dj um like some people are just great and and very very linear i am a linear thinker in some ways but like in terms of my djing um I always, 
I always look to those scenes you just talked about. I was thinking about this recently, like, um, you know, the early acid ass scene or the scene in Chicago that Michael Serafini was describing at Club Medusa, or, um, you know, even regional scenes in Europe, these are the ones that existed before these dominant genres of house and techno ex really existed. These regional scenes that played this complete myriad of sounds, you know, whether it was in uh, Italy, the cosmic sound, you know, where Baldelli was playing all kinds of records and things were not off limits. Uh, or then you were in Belgium and the pre-newbie, pre it was like, you'd go to the club that existed before Boccaccio, before the newbie explosion happened. And even, you know, in the early newbie days, you'd hear all kinds of like, all stuff. You'd hear Sisters of Mercy, you'd hear um, like more disoriented music, you'd hear all stuff. Um, and then similarly with Balearic, like before the, the real explosion happened, the Acid House explosion, the sound of the islands, I think, at least from what I'm told, I was not there, it was a very mixed bag and like things that you were not intended to dance to, you would dance to. Um, so that those kinds of those regional continental Europe regional scenes like that, um, you know, were blooming before we got so rigid around genre and before these dominant the dominant sounds of like house and techno and trance and things kind of like came to be our big source of inspiration for my DJ sets. Um, so yeah, I kind of veer all over the place and um, I think it's a exciting way to go. Um, though I tend, yeah, I mean, I was about to say, I don't go too dark, but I've been known to go kind of dark, so. Yeah. Do, you, do you still listen to quite a lot of punk and metal and, and industrial and things like that? I do, I mean, like, um, I, uh, I kind of have the best resource in terms of like, uh, metal because my younger brother is like a <laughs> mega expert in it so like he can like everything from like the new wave of british heavy metal he can like tell, tell me like oh yeah you'd like a band like from 83 that's like sounds like that or if from early thrash or crossover or you know um even hardcore which i wasn't really a hardcore like punk fan that much i though i grew up in really grew up in DC before I got to Denver and my siblings were participating. One of them was participating in the discord scene there. Um, but I didn't really get into that. I still do listen to that kind of, uh, I'd say I, t I turn it on, you know, it's not something I don't, uh, I can't say I don't actively seek out. I definitely still seek it out, you know, like listening to a, a death record, um or like one of the early ones like scream bloody gore is like i might just do it because i'm at the gym and i want to hear death or yeah you know I, I still will turn on an early slayer record you know stuff like that so um and it's funny because like when we first went on tour as hercules and love affair the band, like the disco, we have eight piece ensemble, you know, brass and everything. Our warm up music was Slayer. And so everyone would be like waiting and we would be playing like uh, Raining Blood and Raining Blood. And all, all these people, I think, were maybe thinking it was like the house music, like the music that the engineer just put on, but like, I um 
I actively chose that. That strikes me as a very daring choice, not just because it's not what people are expecting, because how do you follow rain and blood? I mean, you've got to have some sort of pretty serious energy. Um, it, you know what it was? It was a shock in all things. So it's like rain and blood is playing and then you're like, um, oh my God, things <laughs> are totally changed. Things just totally changed. So it was more so that. It was more so like, oh, well, you know what I'm saying? And there actually, it was really amazing waiting music because it's like, there's so much like anticipation and so much like stress in that song that like, by the time we hit the stage, people would be like, just so ready to let loose. Um, but yeah, it's a funny thing. Cause I, I, I think there's like a clip of me playing for the guardian on, on you know, where we're, we're performing live on an in session and I'm wearing an entombed t-shirt. And like, I, I look back at, pictures from all of these gigs and I'm thinking like yeah I'm wearing a bolt thrower t-shirt I'm wearing this t-shirt and I guess it was like maybe metal t-shirt for a thing but like I was just a fan of these bands I would be on tour you know we would be on the tour bus back in 2009 and I'd be you know asking other kids on the bus to listen to bolt thrower and <laughs> like I gave you, I'll give you 20 seconds and that's as much as I'm giving you. <laughs> yeah. So it's not for everyone, but um, yeah, it's, it's been something I've been passionate about for a long time and I still, I still will, you know, but I equally will listen to um, incredibly soft, 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 soft music too. Um, talking of that, that kind of time when Hercules and the Fair first came out, I always wondered what it was like, being on a major label at, at that time like was it a strange fit or did it did it kind of work well for you um i can't tell you i wouldn't know whether <laughs> I, I wouldn't really i i can't tell you just basically because i didn't have any experience like growing up with ambitions of being uh, yeah like a professional musician and it all was a very strange and fortuitous turn of events. In some ways, fortuitous. But let's be. Let's look at things in a bright, positive way. Fortuitous, yeah. Uh, but um, no, I didn't have experience, you know, releasing on indie labels. I was a fan of indie labels, of course. Obviously, uh, I was a consumer of a lot of music on indie labels, and uh, you know, that's ranging from dance music to just like whatever music i was paying attention to independent music but um it was perhaps what was weird is that we were signed to what was perceived to be an indie label but was being upstreamed to a major label and it was like you know very seriously backed you know so like while it had the front or it sort of looked like an indie it was more or less a major and um i mean I think I, you know, I can't complain about the fact that we got as much uh, push and as much notoriety or like a hyper, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it was a, you know, gas, gas in the engine tank uh, in some ways. I was very, very fortunate to have that much gas in the engine tank and very, very fortunate that, you know, as many people heard the music as they did. Um, and 
so yeah i think it's a it's a mixed bag but because i i also think that um with with that came a certain amount of like expectation um and uh, definitely a ton of pressure which um i was not really asking <laughs> for looking for interested in i'm not still not interested in but i, I have a fair, fair amount of it still so uh, yeah i think it's a it's a mixed bag some ways some days i think oh slower evolution and really being able to kind of like quietly release things and then like you know build up to something or maybe not build up to something just continue to have a quiet like sort of musical output would have been uh, a better way of doing or interesting way of doing things but um it happened the way it happened so it's yeah it is what it is I'm allowed to shock people or sort of like surprise people a lot more now. So, you know, yeah. And it's funny though. Some people say like who hear him and Amber, they're like, it, yeah, I'm not that surprised. It's not that different. It's like you could hear on Omnion, like you were going, yeah, it's not that weird that you're just, so, so um, I don't know. Well, it's been, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today thank you so much um for taking the time of course thank you for, for having me and asking such fun questions